0: Hello and welcome to the second episode, the second season of Harney's Expert Review podcasts. My name is Aki Korsani Hussein, and I'm the global head of Harney's regulatory and tax practice. Expert Review aims to deliver bite sized opinions and analysis on key global governance, regulation and tax issues of importance to our clients and the wider community. Each episode features a guest speaker, is unscripted, and intends to give listeners food for thought based on trends that we see from daily practice. In the second episode, I'm delighted to be joined again by Rachel Barnes, King's Council at Three Raymond Buildings in London. Hello, Rachel.
1: Aki, hello. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Thanks so much for rejoining us for this one, Rachel. Rachel joined us for the first episode in this season, which was more of an overview of Russia sanctions as at June 2023. And we're continuing the theme of sanctions in this area, albeit looking specifically at professional services and the trust sectors. By way of background, Rachel is recognized as a leading practitioner in sanctions and financial crime and acts for national and international companies, individuals in complex cross-border jurisdictional and state immunities matters. Rachel is a dual qualified US attorney and English barrister who started practice in New York in 1999 and remains admitted to practice there with significant experience of cases involving the SEC, OFAC, DOJ and congressional inquiries. In the UK, Rachel was called to the bar in 2004 and made silk in 2022. In short, true expert. So as mentioned, we're looking specifically at the impact in this podcast of sanctions on professional services and trust sectors as being a key area that's of daily importance to our clients and to the professional services industry, to the financial services industry. And this has really been focused on since following the ratcheting up of sanctions on Russia in 2022 and, and continues to be the case in 2023. Rachel, in very brief terms, can you Provide a quick explanation and recap to our listeners on the various professional services and trust restrictions that are in place under the UK-Russia sanctions regime?
1: Aki, I'll be delighted to. And as you say, what we have seen over time over the past year has been a ratcheting up of sanctions, as the Russia's invasion of Ukraine has not ceased, as the conflict has continued and the trade sanctions has expanded. And we see that the UK broadly, although not totally, aligned with the EU on this. So we saw mid last year, the prohibitions on providing professional and business services came into force. And those were focused on accountancy services, albeit not auditing services, which at that time were exempt, business and management consulting services, and PR services. And UK persons were prohibited and are prohibited from providing those services to persons connected with Russia, whether directly or indirectly. So that was mid last year. We then see that being ratcheted up or expanded again coming into force in December of last year, with new services added to the list of professional and business services which are prohibited. So now it includes advertising services, architectural services, auditing services that were previously exempt under the accounting services ban, engineering services, and IT consultancy and design services. Now, in each case, there were wind-down periods, so there were grace periods to enable those who had existing contractual relationships to complete those or exit those relationships. But those prohibitions are now enforced. So that is on the professional and business services side. Separately to that, we have seen the coming into effect again in December of last year, the trust services sanctions So these are prohibitions on the provision by UK persons of trust services either to persons connected with Russia or to people specifically designated for the purposes of the trust services sanctions. So that latter group is in broad terms, everybody who's been designated for the purposes of the financial sanctions, the asset freezing measures under part three of the Russia regulations. This limits the ability of those people who are either designated or people connected with Russia from accessing the UK's trust services. I think since March 2023, there have been almost 2,000 people have been designated under the trust services sanctions. And again, we've seen there was a wind down period, a grace period to enable providers to wind down their services, not necessarily the trust themselves, but to wind down the provision of trust services. Now, OFSI says that it has engaged with over 500 stakeholders and international parties including stakeholders and people in the Crown dependencies and the overseas territories on the detail of these trust service prohibitions, which I think it is fair to say it was not clear exactly where the boundaries lay when these were first introduced and when OPSI issued its initial guidance. These are also subject to exemptions. So for example, if trust services are needed in order to comply with asset freeze prohibitions and obligations, then they can continue to be provided. So for example, if you have frozen assets under a trust structure, and if you wound down the trust, those assets would somehow be dissipated. Then trust services are required in order to ensure that those assets remain frozen. Another area for exemption of registered pension schemes or where the beneficiaries of trusts are minor children, so under the age of 18. Now, lastly, the UK, going back to professional business services, has said it will introduce a legal advisory services prohibition that I think actually, you've seen in the EU, but we haven't yet seen in the UK.
0: No, that's that's right. I mean, in the EU, the situation from 30,000 feet is, is quite similar to the UK in that they're, you know, going back to the term ratcheting up there. So throughout 2022, there has very much been an, an increase as the situation in Ukraine has been getting worse of sanctions on professional services industries. Quick summary on, on the EU position there. So the Commission talks of packages and the Council of Commission in Europe talks of packages of sanctions measures. And I think the first professional sanctions measures, sectoral sanctions measures came in the fifth package back in April, May 2022, which conversely with the UK approach focused on trusts and the provision of trustee services, so-called Article 5M of the relevant regulation. And that was groundbreaking at the time and sought to restrict the provision of trustee services where beneficiaries or, or other interested parties were Russian or are Russian nationals, legal persons in Russia, persons resident in Russia. The key difference between the EU provision and the UK provision there was the attachment of the restriction to Russian nationals as a whole. So, so attaching to Russian citizens wherever they may be based in the world. The other issue was that there were a number of safe harbors in, under the EU trust restriction. And in particular, there was one that where the Russian national, again, because there was an attachment to of the restriction to being a Russian national, if that Russian national had had permanent residency in an EU member state, then the restriction did not apply. And equally and perhaps critically for the EU provision on, on trust services, where the Russian resident had residency in certain select third countries including Switzerland uh, that the restriction wouldn't apply so then the EU restriction was, was interesting because I think with the dispensation for those Russian nationals with residency in Switzerland carved out a large section of the community that probably was trying to target so ultra high net worth russians possibly with residency in particular, in Switzerland and, and other similar places, were effectively excluded from the measure. Whereas Russian nationals that may be based in you know, Russia would, would certainly be caught, or in, in third countries, including Dubai, or, or indeed the in UK, would would be caught by the provision. So I think I think our sense was that the UK probably took a quite an eagle eye look at the EU provision there and moulded its own provision to avoid some of the potential unintended consequences of, of, of the EU provision. So in a nutshell, that's the, that's on the trust side in the EU. Following on from there, so we had that, that was under the fifth package around about April. Then we had the sixth package that came out in, in June, which attached to accounting, public relations, auditing, consultancy services, as well as provide the provision of cloud services to Russia. And then in October, and I think the thing that was interesting about the sixth package was that everyone was expecting. Legal services to be included in in that package, and it, it wasn't. There was a lot of buzz around at that time that it would be, but then, as, with, as we've generally seen with Russia, when we we ask the question, would they really sanction that? Would they really put Russia on the SWIFT blacklist, for example? We then see, oh, it just happens, and then that's the new normal, essentially. So, so that, in fact, for legal services, coming right back to your question there, Rachel, the eighth package comes around in October, and we see these additional services architectural and engineering services it consultancy services and, and legal advisory services by eu persons and firms being restricted to to russian nationals to to uh, to those in in russia that's that's really where we've we've come to there do you see much of the difference from the us perspective taking it with with your us hat on do, do you do you see that they are materially departed they're going more or less down the same route as in europe and the uk
1: I think that's a very interesting question, because here we tend to see, again, alignment and divergences, ebbs and flows. So May of last year, US was certainly quicker off the block alongside the EU. In the initial imposition of certain professional services, corporate uh, company services, etc. So that was May last year. So quicker than the UK, perhaps more aligned with the EU. But the interesting aspect, I think, from the US perspective, is their use of combining what we think of as sanctions with some more general export controls. So one has to look not just at the regulations coming out of OFAC, the Office of Foreign Assets Control in the US Treasury, but also the Department of Commerce for example and the B sanctions that cover export control mechanisms there are lots of export controls over the provision the export of services whether they're IT related etc from the US so one has to look at that and then also the imposition of secondary sanctions again which we touched about on the last episode, that the US may well impose secondary sanctions on those who are providing services to Russian entities who are themselves not caught by restrictions under
0: the US scheme. And I think that last point that you make there is, is, is extremely relevant. And we, we really see it in practice, as we've seen, for example, in in cyprus switzerland a growing list of countries in in, in europe and and other places outside of the us this move to designate so-called financial facilitators who typically will be trust companies law firms accounting firms as they're now perceived as being so critical to helping ultra high net worth russians seen as very close or who are very close to to the Kremlin from from moving moving money around. So so I think I think this is this is actually a, a really really key area of the sanctions regime, and it really does call into contrast that division I think between providing legal advice on the one side and then structuring transactions to the worst of it to evade sanctions to circumvent sanctions, and then of course there's the grey middle there in, in in between really. So.
1: It touches actually on another interesting point in the provision of legal services, because under the US regimes, if you are dealing with an SDN, especially designated national, there are provisions which prohibit the provision of legal services subject to exemption. So exemptions being litigation ongoing in the US, etc. Whereas in the UK, the position has been taken that the provision of legal services to designated persons is not prohibited per se, but the receipt of payment of monies for those legal services is. But OFSI has been very clear to say that whilst the provision of legal services per se isn't prohibited, when those legal services move from advice through to structuring transactions so as to circumvent sanctions prohibitions then you move into a territory of the criminal offence of circumventing sanctions and that's been something i think lawyers particularly transactional lawyers have had to be very very alive to and careful that they don't step over that line
0: Absolutely. It's interesting. I mean, the EU experience, obviously, we have the restriction, the express restriction on the provision of legal services. And there, the dividing line seems to be between representation in court, which is, broadly speaking, still allowed, versus consultancy-like, certainly transactional legal services, which are wholly prohibited to to Russians broadly, so going beyond the SDNs and the designated persons to the wider pool of of, of the Russians there. And I think the impact there has certainly been that law firms are not really, in practice, willing to, in general, split between those two and to just not provide services at all.
1: on that point Aki I think you touched the limitation or the prohibition under the European regulations on of the provision of transactional legal advisory services that's where the line has been drawn so not for contentious matters. Exactly. The provision of legal services is still, one can still provide those legal services for contentious matters. And the line there is, I think, trying to ensure that the access to court, a fundamental right, whether it be under the European Convention or in the UK, common law right access to a court is not impeded as opposed to the purely advisory transactional services. And of course, the UK is interesting. It has said it's going to introduce the same transactional legal services prohibition that we see under the European regulations, but hasn't yet done so. It's also interesting, I think, that the legal services general license that OFSI, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, has introduced, so this is a general license under which, subject to account, law firms can receive payment for the provision of legal services. It expressly excludes. Defamation cases from its remit on the basis that the government policy is that such cases, payment for such cases, ought not be licensed. That's their government starting point, and this comes out of in the UK the the controversy in Parliament over slacks, the idea that certain ultra high net worth Russian individuals were bringing defamation cases against commentators, journalists, etc., who were suggesting that they were perhaps linked to the Kremlin, linked to Russian criminal activity. And so it will be very interesting, I think, from the UK perspective, if the UK says we're not going to license the payment of legal services related to defamation, whether that will be challenged in the court, because that is arguably coming much closer towards this rule of law issue of restricting
0: access to a court. And I think think that's that's a really fundamental point that you make there, Rachel, because we we are in this area, I think, where we look to restrict the ability of a person to legal services. Some very key policy decisions have to be made at that point. And I think it's probably worth mentioning just a a brief note on the general licences that have, as as you mentioned, have more broadly been issued under the UK regime. And there is the Perhaps the the desire to restrict certain activities, but at the same time, so in this case, we're talking about general licences to act on behalf of designated persons, which is not the same as a broad ban on providing legal services to Russians, however that's defined. But even in in that case, there is policy and then there's the practice. And it clearly can't be the case as was pre-invade, pre-Russia invasion in other regimes, whether it be Libya, Iran, or, or whatever, where a person would go out and, and get a, their own license to act in a particular, on behalf of a sanctioned party. You know, here, the, the sheer volume is such that those general licenses are a, still a fundamental requirement, albeit with their notification requirements built in. And What do you think are the key reflections on the sanctioning of, of the professional services sectors and you know what, what have you seen as the, as the most important points across whether it's EU, US, UK, you know, what, what do you see as, as, as key themes here?
1: Well, I think the key theme in terms of prohibiting the provisional commercial business services is that the governments are very keen to ensure that they're not accused on the one hand of introducing all these trade measures, but then letting um, big sectors of their own economies continue to profit from Russian business. And so it is part and parcel of that, which is one of the, I think, most comprehensive sanctions regimes that we have seen in recent years that we will continue to see. For some time, there is so long as these sanctions regimes continue. Now, what that means from a policy perspective and whether that means the effect it will have on those domestic sectors, so the sector, professional sectors in the US, in the EU, in the UK, whether those industries will shrink is yet to be seen. I mean, it obviously has a big impact initially, but whether over time those sectors will themselves be feeling the effect of russian sanctions so i think we've yet to see i think lastly it'll be interesting to see the extent to which these professional services industries and sectors grow in in those jurisdictions which are not imposing sanctions against russia in the same way whether that be india turkey china iran those jurisdictions which towards which russia is now pivoting whether we'll see their professional service sectors grow exponentially as those which are subject to the restrictions, whether it be in the US, the EU, and the UK, have to look for alternative client bases now that Russia is no longer open to them.
0: That's a that's a really good point. And, and I suppose cutting back to our episode last time where we spoke about the general pervasiveness of sanctions. So there's a real change. I mean, this is this is such a fundamental event that has occurred, I think, in in our practices in our industries that there is this real reshaping of practice that has been in place for certainly for the last the 20 plus years and yeah let's see where it goes
1: i mean on that point we've actually we've spoken about the professional services but specifically with the trust services prohibitions you know you and your firm work in the uk overseas territories the crown dependencies important hubs for trustee services how have you found providers forming in terms of trying to ensure compliance with these new restrictions?
0: So I think there's been two approaches to this. The first approach has been to stop all Russian business, to just completely exit from the sector, to cease to provide registered agent services to companies with Russian UBOs, and just to completely get out of the market. We we have seen a complete shift in some sectors, in particular in the, in the overseas territories. They're in the Caribbean, which is very close to the US, so there's a clear preference to exit the market. And those that remain in the market then adopt very robust policies and procedures extensive kyc and aml checks often they will want legal opinions tied with the provision of any service that, that because they simply cannot cannot understand the rules for themselves which is fine it's, it's so so complex so i think that's on, on one side i suppose the other the other takeaway though is as to how the firms have performed is what can't be forgotten is that these rules are so incredibly complex and are being added to all the time you often have this Sort of superimposition of numerous layers, whether it be EU, UK, US, and the providers having to get their heads across all of those and and implement in the right way and we do work with providers that you can see that that they definitely do take the regime seriously and there is compliance on the other hand there are those that are not perhaps and again thinking about the financial facilitator sanctioning in cyprus switzerland europe and other places like that you know clearly there are those that, that are not doing what they should be doing
1: it's interesting, Aki, you mentioned the secondary sanctions or the designation of service providers and facilitators in Cyprus and the other jurisdictions. I mean, in some of those cases, I think the allegation that's been made against the service providers is that they were assisting individuals who are now designated under the sanctions regime of moving assets prior to their designation. And that's a really interesting rule of law issue because there are effectively secondary sanctions being applied against these trust service providers or other corporate service providers who were doing something that was not unlawful at the time at which they did it. You know, obviously, that's very, very yeah. different from moving assets after a person's been designated, but doing it prior to their designation raises some really interesting and difficult rule of law questions because we see sanctions being used effectively as an enforcement tool where you can't use the enforcement tools.
0: Absolutely. It's very interesting. The, the European Commission came out with an FAQ. I forget the the precise date of it now, but the FAQ itself does state that the movement of assets prior to a designation with the, uses curious language, with the knowledge that a person will be designated would be considered a circumvention. And it is curious because you wonder, how would you have knowledge that someone is going to be designated? That sounds like there has to be some sort of leak or something like that. But, But I think there is this growing... Goes to the point that where there is a movement before sanctions are imposed, you need to be very careful. Clearly, if if everything is done in in good faith and assets are moved on an arm's length basis, then exactly as you say, there is clearly nothing wrong with that. That's not a breach of the law at that point in time. How can you retroactively prohibit that? If it's not that, if it did something else, if it steps to circumvent future sanctions that you are or are highly likely to be aware of, I think that's probably that that's the grey line there. And it's certainly at an institutional level, I think providers need to be very, very careful in, in how they're proceeding. And it does go beyond, I think, the, the local sanctions regime in fact as, as you say goes into issues of secondary sanctions. In, in, in the US and, and so it's a, it's a it's a quite a fraught area.
1: It will be interesting to see if there's litigation that comes out of it whether or not the the courts end up grappling with this and certainly in the meantime it's for the service providers themselves to try and see their best line for it and ensure that the compliance is there such that they're not exposed in the future to these sorts of actions.
0: Absolutely. And of course, the the other aspect here is that these providers are typically genuine third-party providers that have all sorts of clients. And so those other clients that they service then are very adversely impacted by the designations because they then are dealing with with the service provider that, that is subject to sanctions just as any other designated person is. So so that clearly is and um, creates all sorts of prejudice all, all over the place. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for speaking and being, a, as I say, a true expert for us on this session, looking at professional services and trust services. We would very much like to have you back on expert review for, for future episodes on this or, or related subjects. And I hope that it's been a good session for you and a good one for our listeners as well.
1: Absolutely, Ashley. Thank you very much. I found it really interesting to hear about the examples that you've been seeing in the jurisdictions in which you work and how they do or don't dovetail with the UK experience as well. So thank you very much. I'd be delighted to come back at a future point.
0: Thank you very much, Rachel, and all the best to our listeners.